He's got to be pleased with that. The crowd is just on his feet here. He's a Cinderella boy. Uh, tears in his eyes, I guess, as he, as he lines up this last shot. He's got about 195 yards left. This crowd is going deadly silent. Cinderella story out of nowhere. It looks like I'm a rat. It's in the hole! It's in the hole! Welcome to week 39 of A Good Talk Spoiled. I'm James Richardson and I'm delighted to say I'm joined this week to discuss all things Ryder Cup with Bobby Donnelly and Barry O'Hanran. Hey guys. Hey James. Evening, how's it going? As always, uh, we just want to say that we appreciate all the feedback and the comments we received during the week about the show. And if you have any views about today's show or anything you'd like us to deal with in the future, you can get us on our Twitter handle, which is at PodcastGTS. We're also on Facebook, and our email address is a good talk spoiled at gmail.com. We have a real packed show today, and it's all about the Ryder Cup, but I suppose we'd better start uh, this week only because he's had a half-decent round. Barry, you had a decent dish round at the weekend. You had a net 60, 67 in the September medal. Not quite the win. I think you ended up around fifth. Um, but you did get a handicap reduction. Where did it all go wrong for you? <laughs> uh, start, started bad at the first. Um, I ended up having to hit a provisional ball. but found the first one and we kind of got things going. Um, made an early double bogey. Bounced back well. Was good at the turn, and then made a catastrophic triple bogey, which had me fuming on the way to the eleventh tee, which is a long walk. And it kind of probably helped me. Um, kind of made a made a birdie there to kind of even it out, and you know made a load of pars on the way in. I think two bogeys and the rest were pars on the way in. So it was a good round. Um, the driver the driver helped me a lot. I had a lot of good drives. The two bad holes were bad drives. So uh, it's the the best round I've had playing strokes all year. So it's nice to do it. Uh, Nice to do it before the season finishes off. I don't know about you, Bobby, but it just kind of gets boring listening to him talk about good golf, is it? It's not fun anymore, no. It's not fun when he's talking about good golf. I like to hear about bad stories and you know people abusing him and him shanking it into the rough and stuff like that. That's <laughs> a lot more entertaining. Is that not my first good golf story all year? Yeah, well, actually, yeah, yeah. I'm, I'm one week a year, can I have one week a year? Well, yeah, one week a year, I think is okay, James, isn't it? Well, we'll wait and see. Well, we're yeah. going to give it to you this year. We'll see what we do for next year. <laughs> but... um I, I had a, a mare of a weekend. I probably got the best out of what I had brought to the golf club, so I'm, I'm happy enough to, to skip over me. Bobby, what about you? I'm the exact same. Yeah, I, I kind of played okay. Played a medal on the Monty again, um, but uh, yeah, didn't do great. Played okay, but just didn't score great. So, but, uh, You didn't stop off for a croissant and a cup of coffee in one of the uh, houses adjacent to the course? No, I didn't. Actually, do you know what was on? I was playing, uh, we were on the back nine on the Monty, and at the same time was the All-Ireland Finals, the club finals, uh, for the Junior Cup, Senior Cup, uh, Pierce Purcell run. And oh, we were playing it. It was actually a great atmosphere because you could hear it over in the Amir. You could hear a big, like, you know, 400, 500 people cheering putts and stuff like this. And as we were coming down the 18th, so for people who don't know, the Carton House, one of the courses finishes on what would be, I think it's the, let's say, south side of the river, uh, which would be the Monty, and we were walking down that, and then on the, on the north side of the river, which is the hotel side, there was 300, 400 people watching Manchester finish, and it was great atmosphere, right. and people holding putts, and like I saw a guy chipping it on, looked like about 10 feet, and big round of applause for him, so it was actually great buzz, uh, kind of brilliant. with that on in the background, so. Tell you, that would test the nerves of any amateur anyway. Yeah, yeah <laughs> it really would. And, and actually, one of the, one of the, I think it was the senior cup, 
uh, went down to the so I think Senior Cup is uh, where you have your five lowest players in your golf club, five best handicapped, and apparently one match came down to the 18th, and they both had four or five footers downhill tricky putts, and one of the guys turned to the other guys and goes, "We call it a half and move on to 19." And uh, which I thought was kind of an interesting tactic. And your man goes, "Yeah." Now he explained after he said that he missed a putt. Uh, before in front of a big crowd, and he said it was a terrible way to lose it. So they wanted to go on to the. It's a good idea. So he said, let's, nice. let's go on to the par five and try and settle on a par five, which both of you would fancy. You'd have yeah. a better chance. Oh, you mean the 19th hole rather than the 19th uh, in the hole? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I was thinking no. that's that's an interesting one. About three shots of whiskey, whoever <laughs> whoever still standing. Do you know, that's that's fantastic logic because that that sort of thing to miss a four or five footer in front of that many people that's mentally scarring for life almost. But then again, like if someone suggests you will be. Will we both pick them up? You'd think, geez, this person doesn't fancy their putt. You go, and there's two angles. We first go, let's do yeah. it. And But then the problem is, if you go, let's do it, and you miss yours, oh, then you're a total chump. Well, maybe yeah. a couple of weeks ago, he was listening to our podcast on gamesmanship and thought yeah. that this was the way to unnerve yeah. him on yeah, the 19th yeah, yeah. tee box. But, uh, well, no, that's, that's interesting. Uh, I suppose uh, I've never played in front of that kind of amount of people, so it would be interesting uh, mm. to, to experience it. Um, what... Is also something I'm never going to experience is playing at the 2015 Irish Open, which will take <laughs> place on the weekend of the 28th to the 31st of May in Northern Ireland. It's being uh, hosted in Royal County Down. It's been announced this week that Rory McIlroy's foundation, the Rory Foundation, will be a sponsor, or certainly a beneficiary. They are still looking for a title sponsor, but it clearly shows that the world number one is committed to the Irish Open. And I think he may be also hoping that he might be able to attract a couple of the bigger names from the US. Bobby, is this a cynical ploy by Rory and the foundation, or is this genuine? I, I, I think, first of all, I think you made a great point. The one thing that we are getting out of this is a great commitment from Rory that he's going to play in, in the Irish Open, and probably for the foreseeable future, which is great. Um in terms of what this means, my understanding is that his charity be the one that benefits directly from his, that from the sponsorship, um, or from linking their name. He's not putting any money into it, and they're not sponsoring the event. But I think then what happens is I'm expecting he said he would help with commercial activity. So I imagine he might talk to some of the sponsors in Dubai, sponsors in America, and go, "Listen, guys, can you help out the Irish Open? Give me a hand out here." So boost the commercial activity there. And also with that, I imagine he might start to kind of get some real big name players and pretty much get them for nothing and say, listen, guys, there's no appearance fees. I'm looking for a favor here. And similar to the way that Tiger looks for people to turn up in his tournament, that maybe there might be a bit of a quid pro quo. Well, I think it was interesting that it was announced this week, uh, just in terms of where the lads are over in, in Glen Eagles. Do you think Rory has 12 invitations to be handed out to the American uh, well, locker room? slipped them into their locker. You know, or got mm-hmm. one of the caddies just to put one into each of their lockers, a little welcome pack and a, a you know branded Guinness glass or something like that with each of their names on it. I mean, look, it's, it's a fantastic situation. Whatever the reasonings or multiple reasons behind it is, the Irish Open's going to win, Rory's Foundation is going to win, Irish golf is going to win, and mm-hmm. Ireland as a whole is going to win. And you've got to imagine that on one of the most famous Lynx courses in all of the world, that some of these America, big American names are, who love Lynx golf are just going to throw that on their schedule and say, yeah, I'm in, I want in on this. And it's, it's kind of a, a successful merry-go-round that's only going to get better. It so does seem to be. Great news. And it certainly seems to be either... A, a happy coincidence that one of the major uh, beneficiaries of his 
Trust is the cancer fund for children, which is actually based right beside Royal County Down. So obviously I'd say there'll be a lot of charity stuff linked into the course mm, of the week. Mm. Do we know, and I didn't see it written anywhere this week, and maybe you guys did, do we know whether it's going to be the Rory Foundation Irish Open or could it be, for argument's sake, the Omega Irish Open? I think it's the Irish Open in association with the Rory Foundation. Or hosted or something, is it one yeah, way or the other? Like yeah. The one thing I, I'm curious as to is... Do the likes of Tiger and Rory is one of the reasons there's some sort of tax element to this that like, you know, we know I suppose we've got an idea of what kind of person Tiger is over the years. Doesn't really strike me as someone who's very charitable, yet he has a lot of char, char charity events and Rory's obviously gone down that route now and I wonder is there some sort of tax angle to it, you know, but but whatever those reasons are, I think as I I echo your sentiments, Barry, I think it's fantastic for the Irish Open and it'll really add it add it to add to the prestige of, the, of pretty much already one of the biggest European tour events. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It'd be great if we can get that title sponsor and bring it up to one of the you know the, the pinnacle events on the European tour season. Like it's not that far behind in terms of prize money. Like no. we talked about it at the time of the Irish Open. It's it's not massively at the bottom of the list. Like it's not at the very top, but it's 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 holding its own, especially where title sponsors have been difficult I suppose in the economic climate. In other news that I think is worth noting this week is that after 260 years the RNA Golf Club has decided overwhelmingly voted in favour of removing the ban on allowing women members which I think following in the likes of Augusta is probably the way that a lot of this is going and I, I think it can only be you know congratulated to them that they, they took a fairly bold step after 260 years uh, to do that. Talking again, I suppose, going backwards in terms of Rory McIlroy, he's this week um, been putting the Nike, Nike's new driver, the Vapor, in his bag for Glen Eagles. I think he was using it today uh, for a practice round. Now, there's been no comment so far as to whether he's going to use it this week at the Ryder Cup, but I suppose there should be a note of concern that Phil Mickelson did the same thing mm. in 2004 at the Ryder Cup where he put new Callaway equipment in and kind of used it as a tuning up session and he ended up with only one point after four matches. So I think if, if any advice could be given to Rory, if he's not hitting it well, he probably should leave it in the car park. Well, the one thing is I think it's probably universally agreed that he's probably the best driver of a golf ball now. So I think... This week probably isn't the week to go with the new driver, whereas, I don't know, after this week, I don't even know what's next, because there's the PGA Tour uh, new season starting fairly shortly, which isn't that important. There is the end of the European Tour, and I imagine he'll take a good bit of a break before we start to get into the end of the race mm. to Dubai, so there's no point in putting it in. Interesting to see him out in practice with it, though. I mean, it, mm. must, it must be good, and it must be seriously in consideration for him to actually go out in a whole practice round before the Ryder Cup with it. Or else he's got some very, uh, yeah, well-funded sponsors who are encouraging him to go out there and use it. Could be, could be. Yeah, <laughs> Jesus, very you're very cynical this week. Now. Yeah, <laughs> everything is right. everything's a conspiracy. Yeah, I kind of drank my cynical juice this morning, didn't I? <laughs> it, did. it is hard to sell things that are like luminous vomit yellow on the yeah. base of the club, isn't it? Yeah, it is. It doesn't look pretty. And same with the irons; they don't look that pretty. But then again, the gaudy. They might get noticed out there in the 17 and 18 year olds who are coming up and looking at Rory and, mm. um, and Ricky Fowler in this kind of illuminous yeah. orange and yeah. things like that. But even from the night clubs like uh, Paul Casey obviously winning recently, uh, McElroy doing well, Tiger maybe coming back next year with these yellow clubs, so it might help sell them, you know? Yeah, I think, uh, I think it would be interesting and I suppose it leads 
the reason we mentioned it was because obviously this is the new offerings for next year by Nike. And I think, uh, Bobby, you were looking at the new offering from Titleist uh, this week. Um, I think it's this year is the driver in Fairway Woods. Yes. And the following year then will be the, the Irons. So they're offering, I think, the 915. Yeah, um, the 915. So you've been having a look at it. Yeah, it's an upgrade from the 913. I actually have the 913 and, and uh, I got fitted in the Titleist Fitting Center out in Carton House in the in the GUI center out there. The main difference really is that there's a slight redesign in the head, but they're keeping the old classic look about it. The one thing they have added is an active recoil channel to behind the face, which is basically the same as the speed pocket that Adams and all the other guys are, are using. They make the claim that this adds more distance. Um, and again, keeping my cynical hat on me, um, <laughs> it's it's hard to know what what that will add in terms of will will it really add distance. But I think the one thing I went for a fitting two years ago, and I found the fitting process brilliant. And I was actually talking to the fitter again, and I asked him about you know asked him about the nine fifteen. I said, "Come on, be straight with me. Is this going to make any difference to me over the previous model, the nine thirteen? And he actually came up with a great answer. He goes, well, I tell you what, why don't you come out to me, come out to the, the, the fitting center, we'll put your old driver on TrackMan, and we'll put the new driver on the TrackMan, and uh, we'll see, Do can we can we improve your, your ball flight? Can we improve your your dispersion? And can we improve your your distance? And he said, if we can, great. Well, then you've you know, then you got to decide whether you want to you know go for it or not. And if we can't, well, then stick with your existing club, because if we can't do any better. So I said, you can't say better than that, you know? Yeah. yeah. And I think that's a very interesting point because I changed drivers a lot over the last while. Now, I've gone actually to the Titleist 913, but I actually went back a long time ago, went back to one of my original tailor-mates, which I hit better than the Ping, I hit better than the R1, the R11, all of those. So it's, sometimes it's not just necessarily what the new gear comes out is better than what you're actually hitting well with. Yeah. Um, Newest is not always best. It's, it's what suits your game is the best thing for you. Actually, there's a very good, uh, I don't know if anyone ever looks at the website, golfworks.com, so G-O-L-F-W-O-R-X.com, and Barney Adams writes a lot of articles there. Now, Barney Adams is the guy who set up Adams Golf, who was since, um, who was since they were bought out by TaylorMade. Um, and there's a whole other cynical story there, James. That we, won't, we, won't, we won't go into. <laughs> well, that would be for next week's yeah, corner by Bobby Donnelly. Keep going, Bob. But um, Bernie Adams actually writes every week, just talks about the golf industry, talking about. And he said that if the golf club has been limited since I think it's 2005, and maybe we might post a link to the article. But since 2005, the golf clubs have been limited into how much more distance they can add. So it's tough. It, they can't get you any more distance than what you can. But where 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 they can improve is is help you by the shaft in terms of getting you a better shaft, more suited your swing, mm. and keep the ball straighter. So what you might have, James, is that maybe you might notice that the shaft that you used eight years ago might be actually the best suited to your swing and that where you might be changing drivers, maybe the, the new shafts aren't as suitable as the old mm. one. You know? so, so it's worth thinking about. Well, that's interesting. And I think because people have been asking us about new equipment and this is the time that new equipment starts being yeah. released and, and it would be great if you go down and you do the fitting, we can put a maybe a side-by-side yeah. a -side and you can report back to us. R rules related question then um, Alan started to close the gap but sadly he slipped back last week and I think you've gone back out to a three-point lead Barry so the question this week is Bobby's ball is found through the green in a tree rooted in an area marked ground under repair 
The spot of the ground directly under where the ball lies is outside the white lined area defining the ground under repair. What is the ruling? And this is an A or B answer today. Bobby's ball, A, Bobby's ball is considered in play and he can either play it as it lies or deem it unplayable taking a one-shot penalty. Or B, Bobby's ball is considered as in the GUR and he must lift the ball, drop it and take no penalty. Did you join the RNA torture committee? Hmm. What is going on? Oh. Um, okay, I'm going to go with option B. That's an, because it's an extension. You know, it's, the, the plant was in the GUR, so um, take a bit of a punt. Okay, and I'll give you the answer now. Alan, who obviously isn't here this week, uh, he's already told me his answer, which is also B. So you're either both winners or both losers. And I can tell you that, sadly, you're both winners this week. Um, <laughs> Disgusted. <laughs> I know. The decision uh, is under the RNA Rules Decision Book 25105. As the ball lies in or touches the GUR, he must take relief directly below where the ball is in the tree and he incurs no penalty in accordance with Rule 25.1b.1. So um, so all square um, between the two of you in relation to it. So the Welsh Open was the European tour event. There was no US tour event last week. But uh, the Dutchman, uh, Joss Luton, won at minus 14, just ahead of uh, Tommy Fleetwood, Woodwood Fleetwood, <laughs> and Shane Lowry. There was a couple of others, Nicholas Coltar, Jamie Donaldson, Eddie Pepperell, Mark Warren, and Eduardo Molinari, all two shots behind at minus 12. It was Luton's fourth European Tour victory. Um, it was a nervous enough finish on the 18th to win one ahead of uh, England's Tommy Fleetwood and Ireland's Shane Lowry. But Barry... You put forward uh, Joss Luton a couple of weeks ago as one of your captain's picks, and he's performed pretty well ever since. Do you think Paul McGinley right now would like to see him teeing it up in Glen Eagles? I think so, yeah. His um, his form has been brilliant. Uh, he finished fifth in the KLM, which was his home tournament you know, in, in uh, the Netherlands, and then you know, winning last week, he's, he's shown that he's a real quality player, and that he would definitely get a pick uh from me ahead of Westwood or Gallagher. The um, actually, I saw on Twitter the top European official world golf ranking point earners over the past ten weeks, and Loughton is actually fifth at the moment, and your old pal Mark Warren is actually seventh over the last ten weeks. So both of them should really. Yeah. The only the only thing is I I, I think you know Gallagher. Obviously, it's it's a two year thing, and there's a run into a deadline, and he had to make a, a call at the deadline. So, I think he probably deserved it at the point in time. I mean, I think if he was picking it now, Loughton would definitely get it. And the other, the other point you you made a great point about Gallagher is that Glen Eagles is his home course. Yeah. He knows that thing inside out. He could read those greens with his eyes closed. So that's a huge advantage for him and the Scottish crowd as well. So mm. look, I mean, maybe, maybe we've mentioned it before that maybe the, there will be a tweak to when the picks are actually made, or if they'll hold a pick back until the very the last week before. Or. Tom Watson actually came out and said that they wouldn't be able to make a pick as late as everyone was talking about. So I later on the Phoenix. Now, and again, this is where you start to doubt Watson's captaincy. He said, oh, well, it's a bit late now to be telling the player's family and getting logistics for getting to the Ryder Cup and letting their family book flights and stuff like this. And you're kind of going... That's a lot of crap. They private jetted over. Yeah, I know. Now, the only thing is, like, if Loughton did play the other day, 
you know, I suppose some people don't, like particularly I think it was Poulter and one of the other players, might have been, I can't remember the other one, who specifically said, I don't like to play the week before an event. Mm. So therefore, people who don't want to play the week before a major or move, in this case a week before a Ryder Cup, how do you account for them? That's the one bit of complication. Well, maybe you do it two weeks beforehand. A week is probably a bit tight on logistics, as you yeah, were saying, yeah, but maybe yeah. two weeks beforehand. But I certainly, th- I think the Americans have a huge flaw in their system, like with the way the FedEx Cup is such a big series of events, and they pick so er- their picks are made so early in that. So, uh, but anyway, look, we should probably get talking back to the event. Well, yeah. Well, I was going to say he, Josh Luton, was kind of slightly all over the place on eighteen, Poppy, <laughs> and. Uh, you know, I, I suppose the other person that shouldn't be his playing partner on the day was Shane Lowry, and he had a tough enough Sunday. But do you think he just fell a bit short in relation to the challenge, or do you think Luton just kind of dragged himself over the line? I, I think Loudon probably was just the best. He was probably the best player on the day. The 18th, uh, for people who didn't see, it's par 5, uh, drive. If you hit a long drive, you're probably hitting a long iron, uh, maybe medium to long iron into the 18th and his drive was absolutely horrendous missed the fairway by 100 yards right nearly went out of bounds and actually did he hit provisional in the end he didn't no no he didn't they found it well okay they said they they thought it he would hit a provisional yeah he didn't hit a provisional i thought they because i believe that they used the sky cameras to find exactly the location of it yeah which i thought hold on a second now you know, if, if you're on the other side of the course and you didn't have the cameras with somebody yeah. going, it's about 40 yards to the left of where yeah. you're looking. Mm. Um, it's not overly fair. But anyway, they didn't and he didn't, but he was miles the, off. The cameras have pinged players on penalties so they can mm. definitely help them find the ball, I think. And look, I mean, it was a very nervous swing and he, he well, his next shot then, he kind of gouged it back out, but his club turned over and he pulled it into the rough on the left and didn't get it anywhere near as far down as he would have liked and was left with a, yeah, a pretty uh, pretty nasty-looking third shot to the green from over 200 yards out of the rough and the ball above his feet. It was, it was one that we'd probably duff, you know, a quite high percentage of the time. Yeah, yeah. Were you impressed, Bobby, with Shane Lowry over the course of the week? I know he didn't have a particularly great Sunday, but over the four days, like, is he a guy that in two years' time we'll be talking of as a Ryder Cup player? Well, actually, that's exactly what I was going to say. I, I was actually going to say that this is the first time uh, Radar actually said it on, on live. He said that Shane Larry will definitely play a Ryder Cup. And when you see Stephen Gallagher, Jamie Donaldson, um, and to a lesser extent, I suppose, Thomas Bjorn, or even someone like DeWeeson, you see these guys play, making Ryder Cup. And I do believe Radar, when he said that uh, Shane Larry will play Ryder Cup in the future, I think he's, uh, he's, an excellent, uh, he's an excellent chipper of the ball, great short game. He actually led the field in putting uh, for the week. Now, I think, the, funny enough, the one thing that did slightly let him down was actually his putting on the last day. Um, but for the whole event, he was actually one of, he was the best putter. Um, the one thing where I just thought he probably is lacking a bit of killer instinct was the 16th. Loughton drove it into the water. Um, Lowry hit an amazing drive down down the fairway. And he was left with 120 into a, a flag, and back flag, but on, on a top tier. And he hit it short of the tier and spun it off to about... 40 feet away and just the time where 120 yards out pro golfer you would expect him to stitch it in into 8 feet make the birdie put the pressure on Loughton and, and here we go try and close it out which in fairness someone like Thomas Bjorn has done very well in, in, over the years do you think that what Shane Lowry needs is more in the US you look at like Jamie Don- uh, not Jamie Donaldson um, Victor de Brisson went over there he's done very well on the on the, the 
bigger tour in terms of the bigger players? Is that what he needs to bring him to the next level? I, do, I don't actually think so because someone who actually did very well this week was Colts He finished third. Do you remember he went to the States and he went and tried it over there and he hasn't been the same player since. And even Donaldson actually who has done very well in the States this year and he's played in some very big events. But I think that it's a very mixed record of, of players who go over and play on the PGA Tour from the European Tour and do well, even looking at Brooks Kupka and Peter Uline. Now, Kupka had a, had one very good tournament, a couple of turns, but Uline went over to the States to try and make it on the PGA Tour, having earned his right to get there from the European Tour, and they haven't made it. So I think it's a quite a big step, and I prefer to see Lowry make his way onto the Ryder Cup and into the top 50 the same way Donaldson uh, Gallagher and Bjorn and these guys have done it. Make it through the European Tour, get into all the like the big the top fifty is a big thing. Mm. For him He's only five there. spots off now. He's yeah. moved to fifty fifth. So, in in relation to you, you mentioned Jamie Donaldson, he finished fourth in his home competition. It was a good week for him going into the Ryder Cup. Uh, guys that weren't Thomas Bjorn, Lee Westwood, Stephen Gallagher. Gallagher missed the 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 cut for the weekend. Is that a concern, Barry? No, like as as we mentioned, not really. As we mentioned, he's got the Scottish crowd. They'll he'll forget about the event last week. Um, he knows Glen Eagles. He'll feel comfortable there. You know, he'll be nervous like all the guys are. But I, I think I think all those factors, like a home course and the home crowd, he'll be fine. I really do think he'll be okay. I think it's gonna like going out to play a practice round on the Wednesday before you play your captain's prize on the Saturday. You're gonna save all your emotional and physical energy, I think, for the main event. I'd say those guys yeah. like Bjorn Westwood and, and Gallagher who didn't play great are just really keeping themselves yeah. for for the main event. I'd say Gallagher might even be happy with the miscut because he just saves himself two days of golf, you know. He's got a long week ahead of him. And I assume he probably went up and met up with the lads up mm, in Scotland yeah. anyway and, and probably yeah. he's only a couple of miles from the co- yeah. the course so he probably was able to put his feet up in front Could of the fire. the surprise package this week, you never know. Well, we'll, we'll come on to that right now because this has been the bit that I suppose for the last number of weeks we've been, you know, showing a little bit of leg each week but not quite going the full <laughs> distance. But uh, Two years after the miracle at Medina, the Samuel Ryder Cup is now back up for grabs. The teams are ready, and in less than two days, the 12 European and 12 Americans will tee it up at Glen Eagles in Scotland in what I can only say, I'm sure, is going to be a heart-stopping and fist-pumping, thrilling week of golf. Europe has dominated this tournament for the last number of events, and this week we have heard from Tom Watson repeatedly talking about the US team are here for redemption. It promises to be one of the most exciting and thrilling three days of golf that we get to experience. And that, I suppose, is exactly the question I want to put to Bobby now. Is this the most exciting sports event on TV? I definitely think so. I mean, some of our American listeners might put forward the Super Bowl and our own, I suppose, the, the World Cup of, of soccer um, could be put forward as well. But I think, and, and I'm less experienced at watching the Super Bowl, but I think the first quarter, the second quarter, third quarter, it mightn't really get exciting, possibly until the end. Or I mean, while it's it's the, the pinnacle of one of their sports events, the Soccer World Cup in particular, you can often get a very poor final. Mm-hmm. Whereas I think when the first pairing goes off on the first tee and they get to the first green, straight away you're right into it. Somebody has a putt for a half, somebody has a putt for uh, for you know a win, and you're straight into getting scores on the board. from the So that's the very first green, and you're straight away you're glued to see, well, can Europe get the lead? Can America get the lead? You, you know, maybe Keegan Bradley holds a putt and he's getting the fist bump, and 
five minutes into it and we're yeah. up and running and the excitement and the adrenaline's off. It's like watching the men's Olympic 100 metres final. It just goes from the gun yeah. and, yeah. but except it goes a lot further than 100 metres. It goes for three days, which is one of the reasons I, I completely agree with you is that it's not just an hour and a half like a soccer match or four hours like an American, the end of the Super Bowl final with all the odds. It's three days of just go and it's, it's an emotional roller coaster as a fan. And I think as well with other events like the World Cup final and the lesser extent the Super Bowl, as I said, I bow to any American listeners who correct us, but I don't think the best players necessarily make finals. So, you know, I mean, I suppose going back to soccer, Ryan Giggs, you know, would have never played a World Cup final. Whereas I think with the Ryder Cup, more or less, with the possible ex- exceptions for the likes of Adam Scott, you pretty much have the 20 best players or 20 like uh, there's 24 players playing but you pretty much mm. have the 20 best players in the world all playing and you have the best Americans going head to head with the best Europeans I suppose it's going to be one of those debates that somebody who maybe not as blinded about golf yeah. would look at and say geez, you can't do that the American Super Bowl is by far better Absolutely. because that's his sport or Absolutely. be it the World Series or whatever it is but to us it definitely I think this, is this is a golf podcast so we kind of got to go for it well I think as well the, the Ryder Cup brings in non-golfers but again I suppose the NFL does bring in non-American football fans but for especially I think on this side of the world anyway in mm. you know in Europe and in the UK and Ireland I think the Ryder Cup is definitely the best sport event I think the Ryder Cup's a bit like Augusta and the Masters people who never watch golf 52 weeks of the year will, yeah. will tune in this week which yeah. probably is a testament to how good this week is golf wise what elements Barry do you think that actually helped the Ryder Cup bring out that excitement in fans and, and, and particularly I suppose the players who have been talking so passionately over the last week in interviews you know what is it about the Ryder Cup that makes everybody sit up and take notice? Well, I mean, corporate plug here, but I mean, I'm not getting, we're not getting paid by them at all, but I think Sky Sports has done an enormous amount for the Ryder Cup this side in, in Europe, and every every Ryder Cup, they seem to bring another thing to the table to it, you know, and this year, they've just gone up a whole other level with the, you know, a whole channel dedicated to the Ryder Cup for mm. two and a half, three weeks. You know, you're not just looking in the on-demand section, rooting through sub-menus. There's an entire channel, an entire section. It's, they, they really do a great job building it up, and they have to get a lot of credit for, for helping build the the event over here. I think that's the thing. I think that for two, uh, and just for people who don't uh, don't know Sky Sports, basically from the Welsh Open that was on last weekend, they renamed Sky Sports 4 to Sky Sports Ryder Cup, and every possible dead error that is on the channel is filled with how the, how the 2002 Ryder Cup was won, how all these different Ryder Cups won, and even, um, we'll come to it in a while, but the 1999 Brookline one was on last night at 3 in the morning. I've recorded them, looking forward to watching mm. it. So it's been, it's been brilliant. Well, I think that probably actually kindly takes me on to my main point, which was going to be, we know the excitement, we know what it built up to, but out of all of them, and we've decided, rightly or wrongly, between all of us while putting this together, that we weren't going to look beyond the European and the, the, the US Ryder Cups. We're not going back to the Great Britain, and uh, Ireland, you know. So we've kind of limited it to what we would call the more modern Ryder yeah, Cup. Yeah. But looking at then, Bobby, which do you think was the best Ryder Cup and why? Well, as I said, I've been watching a good bit of it over the last few weeks, and the one that really, I think, you know, I, and people kind of, there's been a lot of talk about what's the best Ryder Cup, what's the most memorable Ryder Cup, but I think when anyone asks, well, you know, what's the best Ryder Cup for me, even though it turned out to be a bad result, was um, definitely the 99 Ryder Cup in Brookline. 
and um, the Americans actually ended up winning 14 and a half to 13 and a half and for people who I suppose maybe young people who, have, who aren't who don't remember it uh, the Europeans were leading 10-6 heading into the final round and there was a big uh, build up to the final day Ben Crenshaw was the captain he was saying I have a feeling I have a feeling we're going to turn this around and um, the future at the time US President George W. Bush came in gave the Americans uh a speech before it got them all riled up. They went out, won the opening six singles matches to throw the thing hole wide open. Um, Jose Mario Latabal was four up with seven to play. Looked like he was going to close it out for Europe. Ended up um, the whole culmination of the event really came to uh, came to when uh, and this is the moment that I suppose a lot of people remember is that um, it was all square in in the event and uh, and Jose Maria Latabal and um, Justin Leonard were all square on 17 and Justin Leonard basically just needed to have his match to retain the Ryder Cup so he had about a 50 foot probably 40 50 foot birdie Easy, yeah, yeah, yeah. for uh, to basically birdie it and Latabal was into 20 feet uh, so it, basically if something if he won uh, if he had won the hole, uh, then they were all square gone down. Or sorry, he was one up gone down the last, and the Ryder Cup would have been retained by the states. And sure enough, anyway, he held the putt, and all the Americans came running on to celebrate and cover the green in excitement. And I think what happened, what what I love about the event was, uh, and I'm sorry, then what happened was that the Americans went on to retain the Ryder Cup. And now, in fairness, and Alasbel still had a putt from 20, 20 feet to have that hole and potentially still go on and win the match and the Americans didn't realise that and well, I think they ran over the line as well a lot of the people came on they were running over the line and uh, well, they, was well, this Sam Torrance's big complaint well, well this is the thing they actually ran across the green and they were going jumping up and down and as you know even someone walking on your line is bad enough but actually I think apparently American TV did some analysis and reviewed the line from where I'm sure they did <laughs> and they said they never actually jumped on the line but still anyway but, but uh, it's the whole reaction I mean it was yeah it was ridiculous but totally memorable but, we, we, but sorry the one thing I loved about it is, is that like the whole the whole approach to it was way over the top and in terms of everybody got really excited the crowd got really into it and there was great needle and this is the thing I think that the Ryder Cup might miss is that it doesn't have as much edge to it as it used to. Before the event, Jeff Margaret said, listen guys, let's face it, we've got the world's best 12 players on our side. And Payne Stewart, ever, every normal, normal gentleman, uh, he claimed that, Europe, that the Europeans team strength is such that they would be suitable to caddy only for the US team. So, <laughs> so there was this great excitement and needle going into it. And I just think when I look back at the 1999 that was probably the last time that they really had that fight. Mm-hmm. Like, it was nasty, it was personal, it wasn't... Yeah. Like, this is all very friendly rivalry this week, mm-hmm. and maybe that's because mm-hmm. they've all become good friends on the US and the European tour. I agree. But over then in 99, and I, like, I think wasn't that uh, Sam Torrance saying, you know, it was the most disgusting thing he'd ever seen, and that he calls himself a man of God, and yeah. no, yeah. you know, you know. So it became a real personal vendetta. But about the, the the Europeans and 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 the Americans, like it wasn't played in probably the spirit that Samuel Ryder wanted it to be played in. But is that a bad thing? Well, I I think this is one of the things is that Monty in particular got a lot of abuse uh, and like very personal abuse. And his all his old man or his dad was following around with them, and his dad had to leave the course because of the abuse he was taking. And I think that's where it did go too far. That the you know. It just went way over the line when you start to get that sort of abuse. But one of the final things that I 
did love, love about the event is one of the great American golfers, Payne Stewart. He actually passed away a month afterwards mm. in, in an unfortunate accident. And himself and Monty were playing out their singles match in the 18th. And they were both on the fairway. And Monty, or sorry, Payne Stewart picked up both of the golf balls and conceded the match to Monty because of the amount of abuse he'd taken. Yeah. So I know what Samuel Ryder said, well, geez, the whole match got out of control. <laughs> there were beautiful little moments in it. And for me... That is one of the most memorable, and to me, one of my favourite Ryder Cups. And I'll tell you one thing that wasn't beautiful was those American shirts, because if my memory of them were, they were kind of the, the, the squares, and it was all just horrendous brown colour. It was all famous Ryder Cup players. Uh, they Makes had pictures no of, of famous Ryder Cup players. <laughs> but see, that's the thing is, like, it was a disgusting shirt, but it was so memorable, and it was so brilliant, you know, so... I, like some people say, God, they, they were disgusting. So but it could have been. It could have been. Ninety nine was the good, the bad, and the ugly. Absolutely. But was it the best, Barry? Um, I no, I don't agree. I like I like going a little bit more modern, and I I, I can't look any further back than twenty twelve, the miracle at Medina. Um, it it was they, we were dead and buried completely and utterly, and by the end of the Saturday morning, foursomes were four points behind, and that's not good on a Ryder Cup. Um. You know, and we all really know what happened then. We had that, you know, the, the late rally on Saturday evening from McElroy and Polder. McElroy starting it off with his his birdie on the 13th, 12th or 13th, I think. And then Polter it's followed up with five birdies in a row. There were two down with six to play, were they? 12, yeah, okay. So it was on the 13th, McElroy, yeah, yeah. and then Polter birdied 14, 15, 16, 17, and 18 to win that point for Europe. And make his eyes pop out further than any eyes have done since uh, you know cartoon characters so that set up that just kind of gave Europe the momentum and as some commentator said it was a 10-6 tie after the Saturday matches and it just it, I mean Sunday just went crazy it, 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 even when I'm watching it now it feels like a blur because it was just so surreal what happened mm. and um, we we were up north. We, we, we were, went on a golfing weekend yeah, yeah. to the north. Parker Wood, we, we played. It, yeah. um, but it was it, it's an incredible, you know, Medina and just everything that went with it. And I suppose that's probably leading into this year with the redemption and trying mm. to get redemption for it. It was probably one that the US threw away rather than Europe winning it. Like they they had it in their hand. Or do you actually no, go the other way and say no? It was Europe's brilliance that won it. Like I, I honestly that that you, we can't underestimate the effect that the the momentum that Poulter's rally at at the end of Saturday gave to the rest of his team. Like when he held that put on eighteen, and you know everyone was going nuts, and they it just it felt they must have felt so close. Not not four points, maybe one point behind. Even though they did have to pull back all those points on the Sunday, but they had all the momentum. It's like when a, it's like in football when you're three 0 up, the other team scores a goal, and all of a sudden they're attacking you a bit more, attacking a bit more, and all they need is that one more goal, and next thing you're on the run. Then, well, one of your favourite moments, I think, is the Poulter and Rory at Medina on Saturday four ball. Um, you know, I, just say yeah. what, why, why that, why that out of all of the moments over the Ryder Cup is that the bit that stands out? Uh, it's it's just that. It built the team. It, it almost it just seemed to like pull them all together into this one solid unit. You know, he held that putt. He turned around to them, and I was watching one of those Sky Sports programs. Mm. You know, Poulter, the mailman, yeah. last night, and he even postman. the postman was it? Sorry, yeah, sorry, Amer- Americanizing it here. <laughs> <laughs> um, but he even said that himself. He said, "I when I, I was looking at that putt, all I was thinking about was as soon as I make this, I'm going to turn around and just roar at the lads. You know, galvanize them all together, and you know." The, 
the thought of him missing didn't even come into his head. And of course, Paul, he's, an, he's a demon putter in the Ryder Cup. I'd say his putting stats are disgusting. But he turned around and he could just see the whole team. They just they grew about six foot, you know, two foot taller each, and that just gave them the momentum. They were riding a wave the whole way through to the Sunday win. Like, there's no doubt that Ian Poulter is probably one of the best, if not the greatest, current Ryder mm. Cup players out there. But come on, that can't possibly be the best Ryder Cup moment. You've got to go back better than that, Bobby. Well, the only thing is that I love the I love the needle and the thing. And you know when you play a match, your own match, and you play two other guys, and it really kind of gets a bit bit dirty and a bit filthy. And like when, bit... when Barry asked the guy to check his tee because he was in front of the tee markers during yeah, the exactly. season. That kind of, that nasty, kind of needle. Actually, that kind of nasty. Now, now, the yeah. one thing is both, I think both the Ryder Cups that we're talking about actually are the joint biggest comebacks because they both came back from 10-6. So mm. I think they have quite a lot of merit for both of them. To me, I love the fact that, you know, there's that bit of uh, just a bit of grit in, in it. And I think you touched on this, James. I think there's too much friendliness going on. And I mentioned a few weeks ago about you know, uh, Garcia hugging McElroy after McElroy beat him in the British Open. And I think this is kind of spilling over a bit to the Ryder Cup. But I think we might see it come back a bit because Ricky Fowler's got USA shaved into his head and everything like that. So I think we might see a bit more kind of competition or competitive atmosphere this week. This this week. The only thing I'd say about that is this isn't in America. And I think the American guys, you know, the American patrons or whatever they get called over there, really get behind the USA, USA. Yeah, I yeah. can't, I just don't know how many have traveled this mm. this year, so that might take a little bit away from it. Mm. Um, in, in terms of my own personal uh, best moment was, I, I, I was lucky enough to go for the first two days of the Ryder Cup in the K Club in 2006, oh, yeah. and I suppose there will never be uh, a Ryder Cup moment that will be bettered by mm. watching it on TV than being there. I suppose Darren Clark, it was probably Darren Clark's Ryder Cup. It became Mr. Ryder Cup. It was him and the, his wife had passed away a couple of months before he arrives in. You know, he hasn't dyed the hair or got rid of the hair that she had helped dye. Now, certain events afterwards possibly changed everyone's uh, sympathetic views in relation to Darren <laughs> afterwards. But the atmosphere on that first tee, you know, I think it was... Uh, it was Harrington and Monty, I think, started mm. the day off on the Friday mm. against Furick and Woods. And the atmosphere on the first tee was amazing. I stayed until all four groups had gone, and then I jumped back at the, to the first. Mm-hmm. But it was probably just just the pure atmosphere, to me, was my best memory. Yeah. And I'm not going to say that the memories that other people have aren't better than that. But Well, I think that's... But see, this is the thing. is that, like When looking back at 99, it always burns into my memory. And I think for you... Being out, being out there, being in that sort of atmosphere in a golf event, like you're never going to be at another golf event in Ireland where there's atmosphere like that, and that's going to burn and last long in your memory. So I think that that makes a lot of sense, you know. So it's all very much a subjective. Yeah, yeah and for us that was a, that was a special Ryder Cup for us because it was here in Ireland, you know. And it, it was quite emotionally charged, and you had all the lads there. Except the weather was crap. It was. It was. It was, it was Galvin Green weather and gear there was for the no whole thing. competition. Well, it's well, it was so unusual. It's so unusual for Ireland to be, for the weather to be that bad. <laughs> <like. clears throat> in in terms of one of the moments that you talked off air to us was um, and one of the best shots you think you've ever seen at the Ryder Cup was Christy O'Connor Junior's uh, two iron just. Yeah, Again, why that? Why that particular shot? I actually, it's been getting a bit of um, coverage recently, but I think a lot of people don't remember the the backstory. Um, in 1975, he actually played in the Ryder Cup and he lost both of his matches. And in 75, you actually had to be selected for the singles because not everyone went out. 
and he didn't play in the singles. And so he played twice, lost twice. In 1985, he shot a course record 64 in Sandwich to finish, 30, to finish third in the Open. Then he went on to have top 10 finishes in the Irish, Dutch and Scandinavian Opens. And he was actually right on the edge of qualifying going into the final event, kind of like Gallagher, or sorry, Donaldson was, or mm. Gallagher was. And in the final event, he actually missed the cut. And Jose Maria Canazares had a great final event to miss him out. And he beat him by 115 pounds is how much he, he this is how much Christy O'Connor That's old money, that on. is. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> so it's three mansions, isn't it? <laughs> So in 85, well, obviously you expect he just barely missed out. He gets selected. And he actually didn't get picked for the 85 Ryder Cup. And the captain at the time, I don't know if actually it was the time when, was it Tony Jackson did captaincy for a few years in a row? Yeah, he did it for a block. Yeah, uh, and he got absolutely vilified in the press for not picking him. And he got a lot of criticism for that. Um, then in 1989, he actually required a pick again. And... This time he was actually, he was the outsider and he wasn't expected to be picked. And he was actually picked over Walton. And this time the captain again got criticism for picking him rather than excluding him. And he actually felt, he's actually, he said he was stung by this criticism. So he'd had a lot of kind of uh, controversy going into it. On Sunday morning he was due to play Freddie Couples. And the Sunday newspapers were basically saying that he was the weak link in the team. He was playing, he's playing Fred Couples and that he has no chance at all. And he said he was quite hurt by what he read in the paper um and going on to to the event anyway for people who don't remember it he actually hit a great wedge in 16 in stone dead got back to level they both didn't do 17 great but they were playing 18 in the belfry long par four over water and christy hit a good drive down the center and couples hit uh, his best drive of the day drew it around the corner and he was only coming in with a nine iron. Yes, Christy, Christy had to come in with his famous two iron. He actually had 229 to the flag, where Couples was all the way down the fairway flicking on a nine iron. Oh. And Tony Jackson came over to him and said, um, he said, uh, you know, swing one for, for Ireland, Christy. Come on, if you put it on the green, you'll put the pressure on Freddie. And sure enough, um, he hit his two iron for, and I suppose it's all over the covers at the moment, bounced in the front tier, hopped up to the second tier and rolled up to four feet. And Freddie Couples then had his nine iron in and as Tony Jackson called it, he missed the green by an absolute mile to the right. <laughs> and Freddie chipped up and didn't, he, he actually nearly nearly, chipped, nearly got the chip in and Chrissy then won, won the hole. And for me, I think it's one of the, it's one of the best, uh, best shots I've ever seen in the Ryder Cup. And I think the fact that he had to go through so much in the lead up to it. Yeah, the, the interesting thing, and I've watched a good bit of the coverage as well over the course of the week, is just how these pros who have gone on one majors, you know, and done really incredible things, how nervous they get. Like I was mm. watching my good friend and, and my adoring uh, eye towards Nick Faldo <laughs> during the week, and he was talking about 1995 and that he only had a small wedge in in 1995 in Oak yeah. Hill. And he his legs were like jelly. He said mm. he, he, he his stomach was a pit. He barely could swing the club. Now, I know he stitched it. Yeah. And obviously, just pure, pure ability gets going. But like when you hear things like that, Freddie Couples, one of the best players in the world at the time, and he ends up with only a nine iron in his hand, probably could do it. If he went back there today, and I'm sure he probably has over the years, mm. and probably has played that and stitched it to the to the pin over mm. and over again. Yeah, yeah. 
there was a on, on that Poulter documentary again last night he was talking about the nerves and they showed a clip of Luke Donalds trying to get the tee and the ball on the yeah, tee yeah. and it took him forever it, it just he said the simplest task he couldn't even get the bloody ball on the tee let alone swing the golf club mm. and I think I think the difference is you know they, they play for themselves all year long and all of a sudden there's 12 and 11 other guys and 54 captains as well on a whole you know continent relying on you and yeah. that, that, that it's a different kind of pressure and um, it's brilliant to see I love seeing people perform and then for them to perform under pressure and pull off shots like Christy O'Connor did is it's just it's a magnificent human achievement and it mm. gives us you know gives us great memories and things to talk about I, I think that's a great way of looking back but I think for the next few minutes I want to look forward and um, and I have a theory that I believe that the Americans have to win this tournament uh, this week to actually keep this interest going because I, I I always get the impression that if America aren't winning every so often, both the viewers will switch off, the the, the players will just start looking at it going, well, you know what, I've, I've just won ten million out of the FedEx and couldn't really be arsed about this Ryder Cup. I don't know if you share my opinion of it, but like I don't want to see Paul McGinley lose because he's Irish. But I just mm. wonder whether or not, for the sake of the Ryder Cup going forward, it would actually be quite a good thing for the Americans to win this week. I'm not so sure about that, really. Like, I, you know, they'll always be up for it. I mean, they're getting to represent their country. If look, it's not good for, it's not good for them to lose time and time again. They'll just if they lose this time, they'll just come up with another or word instead of redemption for the next Ryder Cup in <laughs> 2016. And um, so, look, I. I'd like. I'd, obviously, it's good for the contest if it's a tight contest, and I actually hope for our sake it is because it makes great viewing and will give us more stuff to talk about mm. going down the line. I think a tight contest is good enough to try to keep Americans coming. If it's another hocking like eight and a half or eighteen and a half, was it nine? Nine and a half. Yeah, I think that could possibly damage the event, but I, I don't see that happening. You know. Mm-hmm. Okay. Well, I'm going to put a couple of very quick fire questions to you both, and uh, we're going to have a review of this next week and see who's got the most <laughs> right. Uh, I want to know from Barry first the winning team Europe Europe Bobby I'm going to go to the States US Barry points margin 15-13 15-13 I'm going 14 and a half, 13 and a half. Ooh, you are putting it tight I think it is going to be very tight the whole way through yeah. that's why I, I think from a uh, betting point of view I think the US at nearly 2-1 to one are good value and they're underdogs as well I mean 2-1 yeah. to one in a two horse race is cracking value European uh, Barry, the Europe's best player over the course of the four day, three days. My boy Henrik Stenson. Oh, you'll never Has, let that boy. No, go I won't. Not at all. He's my man crush. No, I look. I he he's had one of those weird seasons, and I think this might be his surprise and his good performance. Okay, biggest flop um, for Europe. Oh, that's a good question. Who's your biggest success for Europe? Um, I don't know. Um. This was meant to be quick fire. Who, 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 who's, who's in the middle range? Who's the middle ten for you then? We can do this really slowly. Donaldson, Donaldson, I think uh, will be will do very well. Oh, good shout! Yeah, I think he's gonna. Go, I think he's playing great golf. Okay, Donaldson, big, biggest flop, Barry. Westwood, Westwood, biggest flop. Westwood, I know Westwood as well. Oh, nice yeah, agreement. Yeah. U.S. biggest success. Keegan Bradley. Bobby. Ricky Fowler. Biggest flop. Jordan Spieth. Tom Watson. <laughs> hey, whoa, are you yeah. cheating? Are you That's interesting because yeah. I, I, I'll come back to I don't that think in a second. I don't think, he, I don't think he's anywhere as good as a captain as McGinley, and especially in the build-up. And I, will, I, 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 I think they'll still win it, but I just don't think he'll, he'll cover himself. And I'll make my point now before I forget it. 
everybody's been going on about the Tom Watson factor and the fact that half these players don't give a shite who Tom Watson is, I actually wonder how much of a factor is. I don't know if I agree with that, though, that, that yeah. they don't give a shite who he is. I think it's... I, like, they all admire a lot of the golfers like Arnie and Jack, so I still think they, they do admire him. I just don't think he's carried himself that well in how his interview gone into the event. Okay. I don't think... This is not going to define his career if he loses this, or if he wins it, you know, whereas for McGinley, it's a whole bigger deal either way. Like we talked about it, sorry, I know it was meant to quick fire, mm. but like we talked about it that he woke up on Monday morning and said, I'm, I'm picking, I'm picking Webb Simpson so that he can play with Bubba. Why, Tom? Why yeah. did you pick him? Yeah, you just woke up in the morning and said, I'm, I'm picking him. That's <laughs> why I'm picking him. That's, yeah. It came from his dreams. Because he won a match the last time. Yeah. That's, that's what you that's do it. when you're 85 years old. <laughs> <laughs> but talking okay. about Tom Watson, talking about Paul McGinley, Barry, for Europe, who do you put out first in the singles? Oh. Sergio Garcia. Garcia. McElroy. I think you got to put the best player in the world out, out top, up top, like the way they used to do with Monty. Who do you put out first for the Americans? In no that way a, does this indicate that I didn't give these questions no, to you no, earlier. No, we were prepared, <laughs> but things point. are changing. Things are changing. I, Ricky Fowler. I go with Ricky Fowler. Uh, I'm going Jim Furyk. I think he's 20-1 to 1 for top point score. He's played about a million Ryder Cups, and he's the—I think he's the leading American player in the world. So I think they're going to put him out top, lead the way. Um, yeah, Jimbo, Bob, who do you put out last? Who do you put out for for both? Mm. You want you want Jimbo last as well, don't you? Now, no, you want to, I think you want a good putter out last. So I go Webb Simpson. Ooh, because he won a point the last time. No, I think he's. I think he's. I think he's a good putter. He won the U.S. Open. I think he's good under pressure. I, I, I'd be. So I'd be somewhere like the Zach Johnson kind of area. Or actually, I mentioned it before. Jimmy Walker is is up there in the top ten strokes gained putting. So maybe Jimbo, but he's no experience. I think Webb Simpson's a safer pair of hands. And who you played last for Europe? Hmm, I would go with either. So I'd be afraid you'd lose Ian Poulter if you put him out last. The match might be over. So I'd put out Justin Rose. I'd want. I'd want Poulter oh. in there a little higher to. To kind of get his point in the bag. I was going to say Rose, so I'll go G-Mac instead. Okay. Nice call. Actually, I'm going to change my... There's no prize for this if we get it wrong, Bob. My biggest flop is G-Mac. Okay. I think G-Mac's going to have a poor run a couple. All right. We shall wait and see. Um, bets. It's a two-horse race, technically with a third if they if Europe retain by, by drawing. Oh, yeah. You're going US, you're going Europe, are you mm. putting your money where your mouth is? I've backed them as 9-5, to five, the Americans, but I will qualify that by saying I expect it to get very tight, so on the old bet fair, I'm going to lay out my bet if it gets to evens, again, it's too tight, so that I'll have a free bet running on states. If Europe run away with it, well, then I'm screwed. Well, if, the, if that fails, then we won't have anywhere to record next week, right? Yeah, the, yeah. House, the house will be gone. I, and I hope Alga doesn't listen to this podcast. <laughs> um, Jim Furyk, 20-1, to 1, top point scorer. Uh, I think it's, I think he's, he's the best American player. On, uh, well, is that where the real market is, is looking at the, the, the secondary market, looking yeah. at the, the points, the t- you know, the points players might get or who might win their singles or well, on the di- Sunday with the iPad in front of you and picking who's going to well, win in each game. Because obviously some players like, you know, if you look at someone like uh, Mickelson, he's reliant on having a good partner and stuff like that. So, or you might have guys like Hunter Mahan, for example, who probably won't play all five games. 
Whereas Jimbo is going to play all five games. Mm. He's got great records playing great golf and he's great for foursomes. And I think he'll do well enough for four balls. I think he's playing well enough that they'll put him in from four balls. Mm. So I think he's scoring very heavily this year. Mm. Uh, or on the low side, you know, not the high side. But, yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, I, look, I'm not going to back Europe because they're, well, they're too short in the odds. But I'm, what, what is fun in the Ryder Cup is actually betting on the individual matches as they go along throughout the day. Like you said, on your iPod or your laptop and you, you put a couple of accumulators on and, it gives you, I mean, as if you need any more interest in the Ryder Cup, it, you know, it does always matter more, more when there's money on it. Mm. And so it makes it a little bit more interesting. So, yeah, I mean, betting or no betting, it's going to be a great weekend. It's going to be amazing, yeah. yeah. Can't wait. Now. Can't wait for stay oh, 7 a.m. Friday morning. Yep. Am, am I you taking up? the day off work? I'm off work on Friday. Yeah. Yeah. Just to watch yeah. it. Yeah. Are you, yeah. James? I am not working on Friday. I'm off as well. Okay, so Vibro will be blowing up. Brilliant. Right, well look, on that note, uh, I just want to say thank you to you two guys for, for your contributions. Thank the listeners for listening. Uh, any feedback, get on to us at Twitter at, at Golf Podcast GTS. Um, other than that, I just want to wish you the most enjoyable weekend. It's going to be a crack in three days, and I have no doubt that this day next week we'll be having a long discussion of who is the 2014 Ryder Cup winners. <laughs> Bye-bye, huh? Well, you're fine. Bye-bye.